on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Tiger and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We preview OU Iowa State with Travis Hines, and then we preview some of the biggest games in week nine of college football. As always, we finish up with our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, October 26th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of October, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday, early afternoon. Leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Ted, how we doing? How we feeling, baby? I'm doing okay. I'm feeling okay. This game, for some reason, is giving me a high level of anxiety. Heading I in. am 100%. <laughs> I've watched more Iowa State film, and last week being the bye week had a lot to do with it. I've watched more Iowa State film, and I come away after it each time going, that defense is good, and I don't think that offense is that bad. And I don't like that feeling, but this is why they play the games. It, it yep. It's not about how we feel. It's about how the team feels, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, Hopefully that's... they're not feeling the same way. I don't know. Maybe it's better if they are. I, I guess I guess you never know. I, I think that listen, I think there's uh there's things that we can exploit. I think there's ways that we can move the football against them. And I I think our defense should be able to defend these guys well. And, you know, I know I'm setting myself up for a, a banging my head against the table moment, but I look at it and I feel like we should have a good day. What do we consider a good day? I'm not exactly sure, but I feel like we could have a good day against them. I know this. This will be the first time this season where you and I will be on the same plane as the team. Which means we have to wear suits with a tie, which is, okay, hey, I'm all for it. We're going to look good. We're going to look good. Not worried about it. But it would be... It would be awfully nice 
if they would go to Ames and play well so that we don't have to be completely silent on the flight home. You and I, after games, like to kind of debrief, like to yeah. talk about some of the bigger plays, some of the situations in the game, some of the things we saw. You know, we we have that back and forth after football games. We can only do that if if the plane is not dead silent, you know? So we'll be passing handwritten notes back and forth, I guess. Just instead. texting each other. <laughs> So, yes, I would like them to go and play well in this football game because we're riding home with them and it would be would be very depressing to to come home after a loss. So, selfishly, I'm hoping I'm hoping things go really really well for me and you, you know? Just yep. just so we can be in good moods on the way home. Okay. You had BV's coach's show earlier this week. Anything that he said that really stood out to you? Yeah. I some of the injury stuff he said was um was promising except for except for Bowman. Um I I don't know how to take I, it just sounds like he's not sure. Like there's still some instability there. He's still um, you know, he's running, he's working on it. So knees gets, are weird, man. Yeah. You know, especially after when you injure one, like there can be some doubt. Some of that can be mental. Like, okay, do I trust this thing? Is it back where it needs to be? Yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, I've done it. I've had an MCL before, and it didn't hurt. I mean, it there was a little bit of pain there, but it felt like the my lower leg was going to fall off whenever I was running, which is not a good feeling. It's like, what's happening down there? It's like it doesn't respond to the, the way the rest of your body is. So I don't know what his status is going to be. I would lean towards he doesn't play, but I don't know. But sounded like a lot of the guys that had been playing banged up and hurt, like offensive line, and, you know, there was just a lot of guys that were fighting through some things. Uh, feels like those guys are all back, got their legs back, feeling way better. So I think that was a positive. You know, he also mentioned – you know, whenever we were talking about Iowa State, he was talking about some of the good players that they've had through there recently and how a lot of those guys come from the Oklahoma footprint area and how, you know, I took away that he would like to recruit better, closer to home. You know, it I, was interesting. Yeah, heard that, right? He was like, where's Charlie Kolar from? Where was he from? <laughs> Norman. Now, Brees Hall's from Wichita. He went to high right. school in Wichita, but Wichita's in the that that should be right in the wheelhouse. That's for right, Oklahoma. When it comes to the recruiting footprint, so yeah, I thought that that was that was pretty interesting. The other thing he said that I thought was interesting, he keeps bringing up all the defenses, not only in the country but certainly in the conference. Yeah, that are playing really good defense, playing a three three five. He keeps right. bringing it up. <laughs> And he keeps addressing those comments to Toby for some reason, which I love. <laughs> it's great. And, uh, uh, you know, the other thing that he said on that, and I can't remember if this was off air or on air. He said, Oklahoma state has 60 some guys on their roster from Oklahoma and we have 20. Um, and you know, I, I guess the point is it's, you can, you can watch Oklahoma State and say that you can play really good football with guys from this footprint, right? And not to say – I don't think he's suggesting that we should have 60 guys. I don't know what – but 
I, I think the point is we've got to be better recruiting close to close to home, which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, he talked about the story going to visit Heacock and those guys. Um, you know, whenever he was implementing this this that scheme and trying to learn from it because they had, you know, they were losing a lot of talent after that uh, 2018 national championship run and wanted to figure out a way to maybe do do more with less. So they went up there, studied those guys. So, yeah, there was there was some interesting stuff for sure. All right, let's get to what we're watching for in this football game. Ted, let's start with when OU's defense is on the field against Iowa State's offense. What challenges do you see Iowa State's offense bringing to this game? Uh, I think the the biggest thing for me is the athleticism at quarterback. Um, you know, Hunter Decker, he's, he's not Max Duggan. He's not Adrian Martinez, but he's active. He can run the football. He can get outside the pocket. And I think that that's the one thing that could mess with you a little bit. The rest of it is totally vanilla. I mean, it's it is plain Jane running game, plain Jane. You're gonna get you're gonna get split zone. And they'll block it interesting on the on the perimeter, or actually lack of blocking it on the perimeter. They don't <laughs> even block the defensive end with the split action. They just kind of influence him, which I think is a lot of the you know the quarterback keep stuff. So that's that's interesting. Um, inside zone, they'll run a little bit of outside zone, kind of a two-back look out of a staggered uh, formation in the backfield. Passing game, incredibly simple. You get uh, quite a bit of three-level. Uh, you get 98 quite a bit. That's their third down call. We used to run it with Lincoln Riley. It's the old Mike Leach. You get the crossers underneath and the hook in behind it. Um, smash seven, which is, you know, just the hitch. And then the, the seven route, whenever they get cloud on one side, I mean, it's all from what I've seen and I haven't watched everything, but it seems fairly basic. You're you'll get motion, but it's, it's standard motion stuff. It's the, it's the, uh, H back or tight end outside of the core motioning back in, uh, to get in his final formation little bit of motion from the receivers across the formation, a little bit of trips into the boundary, but it's nothing that you haven't seen. And it's nothing that you should go into that game. And it's like, we can't get lined up. We can't adjust. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that we could have a, a good day defensively. I don't think their offensive line is great. I don't think their skill position guys save Xavier Hutchinson are great. Good, not great. I think Hunter Deckers can make some really nice throws, but he's prone to some mistake, uh, you know, in the passing game. And I don't know. I just, I, I think it kind of is what it is. What, what you see is pretty bland, not very explosive and, if you can stop the run on early downs, which a lot of people have against them, it makes it really difficult on a, a quarterback that lacks experience. Completely agree. Um, vanilla, I would even say, and I think this is fair, little predictable mm-hmm. offensively uh, for Iowa State. Now, one thing, and we're, we're not going to know until we see this game play out, is they've seen Oklahoma's defense – struggle with a lot of motion, struggle with the communication aspect of things. 
They've had two weeks. How much have they added from a motion and shift standpoint to to try and see if Oklahoma has corrected those mistakes? Which right? that used to be their main bread and butter. Yeah. Right? That's just an unbelievable amount of motion, formation, variations. Like right. As I watched, it, I was like, wait, what what happened? Did Tom Manning like just decide, you know what, that's that's too much. <laughs> like I, I don't understand. Well, I think part of it was you had a guy like Col- you had those three excellent tight ends, and one yeah. of them was a really good receiver. So you could stay in that personnel grouping and still, you know, be a little more uh, versatile than I think they are right now. They don't have that tight end that can do what what Kohler could. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on the offensive line. I think the interior is the strength. I think their center is their best offensive lineman. Tackle is definitely a weakness, in my opinion. And and, I, and I've said this. I'm going to continue to say it. This cannot be a get-right game for their run game. It needs to be a get-right game for Oklahoma's run defense. Yeah. It, it, it cannot be the Sooners getting gashed by a run game that has, I mean, just has not been effective for them. So – if you shut down that run game and you put Deckers in predictable passing situations, he's not as bad as some people think he is, but just, and just like most quarterbacks, a lot of his mistakes come when he's under pressure and that weakness at tackle, but you have to get him. Like you mentioned, you have to get him in those situations and guys. And I don't know if you got to dial up more pressure. If you're Ted roof and BV we need this defensive line to start winning more one-on-ones and pass rush. It, ju- it just has to happen, man. I agree. And, you know, and it goes right back to what you talked about, stopping the run, right? Yeah. We we haven't been able to put offenses in predictable situations, and that's going to be um, the biggest factor. And here's the other thing, man. I, when it comes to skill position groups, I, compared to what we saw against – Kansas State, especially at running back with Deuce Vaughn, Malik Knowles, Adrian Martinez at quarterback, and then TCU with Duggan, Miller, uh, DeMarcado, Quentin Johnston, like everything they've got at skill guy, then Texas, and even Kansas. Iowa State's not close to that, right? Xavier Hutchinson is like, he he's, he's the guy that is, is a comp for those other teams, but the rest of what they got, like, we should be able to win a lot of these battles on the perimeter and on the interior. So I, I totally expect our guys to be able to do that. If we don't, I see that as a problem. I, I would see it as very, very alarming. And the, the one guy that has had some big plays, one guy I think that does have some good speed that could be dangerous is Jalen Knoll, 13. Mm-hmm. Not a big guy, but looks like he's got, some speed to him. Other than that, like, you know, the ball is going Hutchinson's way. I mean, Decker's just going to find him and I don't blame him because I think he's a really good player, but all right. You got anything else? OU's defense, their offense. No, I, I don't think so. I think that you, you just have to keep in mind that Iowa state is, I know they've, they've played a ton of close games and haven't won all of them, which, you know, is, is fine. But, like when you play in close games, special teams is going to be a factor. That's just how it is. Like if, if the score is close, 
a lot of times the deciding factor is going to come down to uh, either who makes the the plays or who makes the big mistakes in special teams. Well, uh, if that's the case, I like the Sooners' chances because Iowa yeah. State, for whatever reason, they stink on special teams. It's Which is it shocking. is it's quite the mystery. So hopefully it's hard to that make ends up formula work whenever you don't play well in special teams. It, yeah, I mean it's it's got to be confusing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, let's talk some OU offense against that Iowa State defense. Uh, everyone knows by now, uh, John Haycock invented, as far as we know, that three-three-five structure of defense, that three-safety stuff, and no one plays it better than they do. Structurally, now, there's a lot of teams playing this style that have better players, but no one plays it more disciplined and more efficiently than Iowa State. Which, when you look at what Oklahoma's offense has to do to have success, you have to run the football. It is essential in this game, and it's not going to be easy. Right, Iowa State, they got the number one rush defense in the Big 12. But from watching uh, Baylor in Texas specifically, right, I think OU's best course of action is perimeter run game. And I feel like we've said that quite a bit now this year. But the GT counter that's been hitting wider, um, that frontside guard, that G pull with the backside tight end leading around that's hit wider, that stuff has been good. It needs to be good in this game. Uh, Ted, I do not know how much money I would pay for OU to run outside zone like Baylor does, but it's a lot, man. It's so, it's <laughs> it's beautiful to watch. I mean, it's beautiful. And they had some really effective outside zone runs uh, against Iowa State when those two team plays, and especially a lot of stuff where, you know, they're pressing the front side and that backside cut, uh, you know, cutback lane really, really opened up. So I... I would love to be able to come on here and say, hey, I think they can go inside zone and run it right at them and knock them off the ball. I I do not think that's the best course of action. I think perimeter run game, attack the edges of the defense. Yeah. Yes, uh, I think so too. You know, another thing that is interesting, I don't know that tempo is your friend against this defense because of how easy it is for them to get lined up. Everything's and balanced, right? I mean, everything's balanced. no matter what you throw at them, their structure for the most part, unless you throw some really funky stuff, the structure is going to look the same. Like they go stand where they stand. Yep. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I guess like if you start to have success in the running game, it's more of like a, it's a gas tank thing for the defensive line and those backers that are fitting than it is anything else. But I, you're you're probably not going to get them misaligned. Uh, you're probably just like almost hurting yourself if you do that to some degree. But I agree with you. Uh, I think some perimeter run is there. I think um, 
I think some quarterback run stuff is probably going to be a factor in there also. And I I continue to say that I, I hope they at least for a handful of snaps do some of the Wildcat stuff, whatever package it is, whether it's it's your, kind of your heavy package with Braden Willis or just some of the easier direct snap to the running backs. I, I think that needs to continue to be a part of what you do. Yeah, and a couple more run game thoughts. Eric Gray, he's going to have some one-on-one situations with their middle safety, Bo Freiler, uh, number 17. I got a feeling Eric Gray is going to make that guy miss a few times. Yeah. Just a feeling. I, I think that could be a a bit of an athletic mismatch. And, and one of the one of the reasons I really like the perimeter run game, have you seen their their bike backer, Vance? Yeah. I mean, he's he's played a ton of football for him. He's he's gotta be like 260, maybe 265 right now. Like he is not running well, but he looks huge on yeah. tape. He's he's like a six year guy, I think, right? Yeah. I think he's a six year guy. He's been there a long time. Uh I don't think guy, they run but... particularly well at backer. No, 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 no. I don't think they're, you know, aside from a, a handful of guys, I don't know just how athletic overall they are. But, you know, whenever you – everyone plays their role plays and does it right, you know, you can still play excellent defense. And I think you're right with Eric Gray making, uh, you know, some guys miss. That's what makes this whole thing work is they're, they tackle excellently and they yes. have – for a, a bunch of years and that's the real key to it i mean it's no different than anything else like if if your guys miss those one-on-ones on good backs like eric gray then you're gonna look bad just like everyone else looks bad so that's like if, if eric gray could start to make some of those guys miss in those like we got a hat on a hat here's the unblocked guy it's up to you to to get the the positive yards and he can he can uh make those guys whiff then we're in for a good day yeah, and well, one of the keys to getting the run game going, and I know this may be a little niche and it's kind of hard to watch as you're watching the game, but the offensive line has to play with good pad level because technically, I and, and you you look at their defensive line, I think Will McDonald is a good player. I I think he's a little overhyped. Mm-hmm. I, I I just, he's too hot and cold for me, especially against the run. Guy just jumps out of his gap, like doesn't fight double teams. Sometimes it's like he he doesn't play the run as well as I want him to play it, basically is what I'm saying. But you look across the board for them for the most part, their guys play with really good technique, and they play with really good pad level. And a couple of them are short, so they got that naturally built in, right? But that is that is how they get it done at the point of attack. Great hands. Great pad level, great leverage. OU's offensive line has to match that, right? Or else you're not going to get any movement at the point of attack, right? Low man wins. We've all heard it before. So OU's O-line, they got to play low and they got to strain. I mean, you can't get tired of straining in this game because you know exactly what you're signing up for four quarters when you're playing this football team. I think you remember 2020 when we went up there and we're watching them warm up. And one of the dudes, one of the nose guards was like, he was like 5'10", 285 pounds. 
and we're looking at him like who I think it was one it was the younger brother of another guy I think right of another defensive lineman anyways like whenever he was in the game it was like <laughs> it was like trying to block a boulder he went absolutely nowhere now he didn't disengage or make any plays but he could absolutely hold point it's I, it it goes to the point you're talking about like they've got a couple of guys in there that just they anchor down and if you can't get much movement there then it makes things really difficult on you you got to be able to find a way to get some guys moved off the football and get them going laterally a little bit and that's where you can kind of take advantage of them that's that's why you I think you like the some of the outside stuff so yeah yeah I'm with you and if you can run it efficiently you're going to be in good shape because this team, you talk about coming downhill on play action. I mean, if the backers think it's run, they are flying. Not really flying. They are. They're moving at a kind of slow pace <laughs> downhill. But I, I, the play action stuff, some stuff in the middle of the field in the RPO game, like if you're running it efficiently, you can you can make some money with that stuff because they, they do bite hard, you know, whatever of the three safeties is in the run fit, like they're coming downhill if they feel run. So that goes back to pad level. It goes back to playing well and efficiently with your run game. But I do think there can be quite a bit of space created for Dylan Gabriel to hit some of those intermediate throws, especially in the middle of the field. Yep. No, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, you know, that just kind of, for me, is the real question mark, just generally speaking, about this game. Dylan Gabriel's never played this defense. Jeff Levy's never called against this defense. He's called against three three fives, but he's never called it against Iowa State's defense. Now, I know there's guys offensively on staff that have been here and have have a – high level of experience with this team. But that's one of the things that worries me is trying to do too much against this defense. You have to just take what they give you. They are begging you to get anxious, to try and make something happen, to feel like, you know, you got to hit on a big play and you've got to create something explosive. And that's whenever they take advantage of you. You have to just continue to take what they give you, be methodical, be okay with the the you know the four or five yard running plays, getting to third and short. That's that's how you have to beat them. Is if you start to throw it on first down and get in, and you're incomplete and you're looking at second ten, you can just forget it, right? Might as well punt the football and start over next time. So that's what has me worried about this game is just the experience playing against it. Yeah. Now, I will say, as far as potential big plays, if number 19 gets on the field for Iowa State, go after that guy. If I see it, I know they see it. Yeah, 19. Remember that number if you see him out there on the field. But I – and we talk about every year when this game rolls around, like wide receiver blocking is super important. Like you have to match the physicality on the perimeter, whether that's the quick screen stuff, the bubble stuff. Uh, being at the point, some of those run concepts, because the way that they spin some things in the back end makes it really challenging for wide receivers to go dig guys out in some of those run game concepts. But you're right, man. Dylan Gabriel's got to be good 
bottom line, uh, got to make good decisions with the football, has to be patient, has to be accurate. Like if he sails any of those throws, we've seen him sail in some of these concepts, they're going to catch it. Uh, they got a ton of guys back there. But one thing that I'm interested to see is how disciplined is he with his eyes? Because as you watch this defense and they do a tremendous job of it, they are really good at moving in the back end with what the quarterback is doing with their eyes. I mean, you could tell they're extremely well coached when it comes to that. Can Dylan Gabriel play with diff, diff, disciplined eyes? And actually, can he use them as a weapon in the passing game? to create some holes in those zones by moving guys with the, with his eyes. Like that is, that is an advanced level of quarterback play, but the guys played a lot of football. I'm interested to see, you know, how many times is he looking one way and then he comes back with a quick throw to the other side because he knows how he can affect the defense with where he's looking. We'll, we'll see, but that's, that's something that he's got to do to create some of those holes in those deep zones. Yep, and you got to trust your offensive line. If that, if, if like yeah. that's the that's the critical thing there for a quarterback. A lot of quarterbacks start to stare it down because they know it's got to come out quick and just don't have the trust or feel like they have the time to be able to you know pull the defense to one side with the eyes and then come back and snap throw it the other direction. So offensive line's got to because Iowa State's always been good at number one creating pressure with just a three man rush and two disguising when they're coming all out pressure and when they're not. And uh, if you feel like it's coming and you drop back and you got that, the clock is sped up and they're, they're just rushing three and there's eight guys dropping. You've already, you know, clouded the picture of what you're going to see back there and you panic, make mistakes. Yeah. All right. Let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys for your boldest prediction heading into OU Iowa state. This first one comes from, at LaserBeam0252 on Twitter. He says, Oklahoma makes methodical 15-play drive, 15-plus play drives with touchdowns. Defense makes strides in the pass rush. Keeps Iowa State at a, at 375 yards total. Would you be okay with that, 375 total? If you do that, you, yeah. you probably win the game. Yeah, I, I think so. I guess it all depends on how it unfolds. Um, I'm more concerned with the the points than I am the yards. But, you know, I I think that those things can happen. I think we have the capability to run the football well against them. I, I think defensively, I know that I know everyone is just still got uh, PTSD from the Texas and TCU games and you know, late against Kansas, but I I feel like our defense should be able to have a really good day against them. I just do. We're I, I still believe that we are not the team. We are not the defense that we saw against TCU in Texas. Like that is just it's I don't know. I I refuse to believe it. Maybe uh <laughs> maybe at some point I'll relent, but right now uh I still think that we should be able to go up there and have a good day defensively. Yeah. And, you know, I, I agree going on those long methodical drives and then running the football into the end zone is, is going to be big. And that's what helps your defense. That's why I go back to like the TCU and the Texas game when you don't have a quarterback 
and you're going on three and four play drives that last a minute and a half, your defense is not going to have a good day. Yeah, not not a great recipe for success. Okay, this last one comes from Matt Butzer, Bootser on Twitter. He says, Iowa State scores first. Their defense is going to rattle OU initially, but they'll get it together going into the half. He adds, I also don't think this will be a gimme game. Iowa State's D will test Levy and DG. We should win, but it won't be a cakewalk, and they'll have to work for it. I don't know a single person that think this is a gimme game. Well, I I hope And if that... you do, I don't know what you've been watching. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is Iowa State, if you just check out the record, and just see where they're at in the Big 12 standings. They're they're winless in conference play. They're 0-4. But this is not a – like, it's not indicative of where they are. Like, they've had an opportunity in every one of those games. And, and at some point, I know people say, well, if you know, that's that ends up being who you are. But they have the best defense in the conference, number one. By Numero uno. A big margin. Yeah. So. They've been – they're doing it again, man. So yep. – it's going to be a fun game. We're going to have fun, Ted. Speaking of fun, birthdays are fun, right? <laughs> birthday shout-outs. Happy first birthday to Norman Tipton. Happy first birthday to Leo Douglas Kuhn. Happy 21st birthday. Oh, wow. Here we go. To Noah Roney. Happy 28th birthday to Troy Marsh. Happy 33rd birthday to Matt Hanson. Happy 55th birthday to David Tipton. Happy 85th birthday to Jack Bettis. And happy birthday to Big Daddy Chris Devaney. And in a podcast first, happy 15th divorcery to Catherine <laughs> Young and Darren Carroll. Yeah, congrats, guys. <laughs> I, I I guess congrats. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little more about this OU Iowa State game with our man Travis Hines. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel. Fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator, and you can scan it at the pump now. Ted, get you some gas rewards. What's up? When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids 
to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right, here's a little more on the OU Iowa State game with our man, Travis Hines. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that covers all things Iowa State athletics for the Des Moines Register and Ames Tribune. Travis Hines is in the house. What's going on, man? Not much. How are you guys? Okay. We're okay. We're not great, <laughs> but we're okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the sentiment for uh, fans up here, too. Very, very similar. Yeah, this may be more of a therapy session for everyone involved. Um, I, I guess I'll start with this, Travis. Iowa State's got what I think is the best defense in the conference, but they're 0-4 in Big 12 play. Uh, how? Yeah, I think it's a collision of a few things. I mean, certainly the offense is first to blame, but that to only score nine points, 11 points in games, like that's just not going to get it done no matter how good your defense is. And I think some of it – is timing too. I mean, they played probably their best game in this four game stretch against Texas, which this full strength Texas team is really, really good. And I think they played their best game against their best opponent and come up three points short. If they play the way they did against Texas, against K state or Kansas, they probably win those games, but they played probably their worst games of this stretch against K state and Kansas. So I think it's, it's a number of things. The injury to Jirel Brock really hurt the offense to what degree I think is debatable, but it's really a collision of an offense that's can't get out of its own way, timing of the schedule, and frankly, a special teams that have been a disaster multiple times throughout this season, which has been a lingering concern the last three or four years for Iowa State and does not seem to be getting better. Well, every game has been incredibly close and you know, the full-strength Texas team that you mentioned, that that's a good, tough team. We know that, but Iowa State had them beat, had them beat a couple of different times. You know, they take the lead, um, then can't get off the field, and then on the final drive have a couple of opportunities that they can't cash in. Is that kind of what you've seen? Like, even whenever you've had opportunities late, they just haven't been able to to pull off those plays? Yeah, I mean, like the Texas game, to me, Xavier Hutchinson is having an All-American, first-team All-American type season at wide receiver, and he drops one of the easiest passes he'll probably get all year that you would have been able to waltz into the end zone there late in the fourth quarter. I mean, they've just had crucial failures at critical points in the game. You missed three field goals against Kansas, all makeable. And so it's just been a really difficult in terms of their ability to make plays in the moment, and the, in the grander scheme of things, they're just not putting together enough offensively. And I think you can chalk some of that up to inexperience. But I also think, you know, Iowa State's entire philosophy, its ethos, is to play ball control, close games, win with your defense. And when you do that, you put yourself in a position where 
a play or two can decide the game. And so I think you can't necessarily excuse it as, oh, they're playing close games. It's just not going their way when the whole idea is to play close games. If that's going to be your philosophy and the way you go out and approach the game strategically year in and year out, you have to be excellent in one possession games. And Iowa State is something I think one in nine in their last 10 one possession games. If your plan is to play it close, you got to be better in those games. And that's just not happening the last two years for Iowa State. So, Travis, I, I want to talk about the defense. I want to talk about Deckers, but so, something you just said there caught my attention. A, a lot of times when, when, you, when you're playing that way, when that's kind of the plan, right? Hey, we're going to play close games. We're going to win with precision, right? Special teams, I mean, they, they have to be on point if you're playing games that way. How have they been? It's not like Campbell's not a good coach. Like, how have they been so bad on special teams? It is one of the most discussed topics up here because we never really get a straight answer. Campbell does not have a special teams coach. And when he's been asked about it, he said that he likes to have all the entire coaching staff involved in special teams, which is a, a fine philosophy, I think, on paper. And he defended it just yesterday that they've had great success doing it that way. And it kind of makes you go, hmm, have you though? Because it has been a major issue. I mean, a guy missing field goals like Jace Gilbert, like that's going to happen. You got a true freshman kicker. Like eventually that position changes over and you're going to have an inexperienced guy. You know, he had a great game against K-State after missing those three field goals. But you had two block punts against Iowa. You had a block punt to start the game against Texas. You've had huge kick uh, kick coverage failures over the last three years it has just been a total mess at times and you can chalk it up to inexperience if you want but it's special teams like you have to to your point you have to have that cannot be a net negative if you're playing close games if anything it should be a huge positive if your idea is to play defense first close games like that's where you can eke out an edge and instead they're giving away huge chunks of the game in that phase and it is a multi-year problem and this is probably as bad as it's been i mean think back to 2020 iowa state goes to the big 12 title game for the first time in school history and wins the fiesta bowl well they gave up two uh kicks for a touchdown in their opener against louisiana oklahoma had a huge return right i think at the end of the first half in that big 12 title game you know that led to a score i mean it's just been even when they've been at their best that's been an issue and now it's certainly they're not at their best and it's it may not be costing, you know, certainly has cost them games this year, and it's cost them being able to get out of those one-score games where maybe you have a cushion if you're not giving up, you know, the, those huge plays in special teams. I'm curious, how is, the, how is the, the media and the fan base handled the current situation after having a, a great run-up, right? The bar – changes the bar of expectations from from everyone covering the team or fan of the team it just tends to change with time and now uh you've slipped back a little bit the record isn't what you wanted or hoped how how has the the fan base and everyone reacted to that you know frustration is definitely rising but i think people i think the fan base experienced this in basketball recently where you had that Fred Hoiberg era, the first couple years of Steve Prohm where things were literally the best they've ever been at a school that's had a lot of success in basketball and they had their best era ever. And then that slipped away. So I think fans 
realize, and Iowa State football over the last five years is literally the best it's ever been. So I think fans realize it can't always be the best, that there's probably going to have to be a reset or a reload. And that was the expectation coming into this year. And then I think people kind of let that notion slide away a little bit when you go 3-0 and to start the year and look good doing it. You know, they they did exactly what they did were supposed to do against the lesser opponents in SEMO and Ohio, you know, beat the doors off them. They finally beat Iowa for the first time under Campbell and people are really excited. And then you hit this four game stretch where I think everybody kind of comes back to earth and says, okay, this is a team that, you know, literally lost some of the best players they've ever had in school history at their positions at crucial positions like quarterback, like running back that, a reset was inevitable, but the way that it's happening where you're losing these one score games where you're having special teams issues and you're seeing things that have annoyed and bothered people, even when they've been winning for five years now costing them games. And I think that's where you're really seeing it percolating and starting to bubble up even more that things that people felt were issues despite winning are now even bigger when those wins aren't there. Right now, the bright spot has obviously been the defense and John Haycock, they they've done it again, right? They're playing the best defense here in the big 12 conference, playing some of the best defense in the country with, with what we've seen so far. What, what do you think is the strength of that defense? I mean, they're good at all three levels, but I think what really set them up for success is they had Anthony Johnson, a four-year starter at cornerback moved to safety And that kind of made room for two really good young corners to get on the field. I think they've been able to, you know, really orient everything around that move that that freed them up to do a lot of things. Then you get Colby reader, a, uh, you know, a six year guy from Delaware to come in and kind of take that Mike Rose spot at linebacker. And that has really solidified things. And I think up front, they've been good, not great. You know, when you lose a guy like any Uazarike, and Zach Peterson, who was playing really good football last year for Iowa State, I think it's natural to take a little bit of a step back there. They don't have the standouts opposite Will McDonald that maybe they've had before, but you've seen MJ Anderson, a Minnesota transfer, really emerge the last three or four weeks as a at least a, a threat opposite McDonald where they can – offenses, if they're going to shift all their protection over to McDonald, that MJ Anderson can beat them can beat offensive lines, you know, if he gets one-on-one coverage. I think that's been a big help. But, I mean, obviously, I think it comes back to John Haycock, right? Like, the guy has been excellent at creating defenses year in and year out. He's had really good players to do it. But it seems like every year, whatever question you have or weakness you see, they're able to pretty well cover it up and really play to their strengths. I mean, this is now, you know, what, year six of them being an elite defense? And, you know, that's not an accident. Yeah, no, it's it's been incredibly impressive. And Coach Venables the other night was talking about how they went up there um, in the offseason between 2018 and 2019 seasons and met with them and learned that scheme. And Venables, you know, started implementing a lot of those uh, a lot of those concepts. What would you say defensively for them so far has been the weakness? Is 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 it getting to the quarterback as you kind of alluded to there? Is that, has that been the one drawback as they've been excellent against the run? Yeah, they haven't really. And I think a lot of this is because teams are obviously scheming Will McDonald. So they have not been able to get to the quarterback. I think one thing too, and and you're picking nits with this defense certainly is speed at linebacker. I don't think is elite. That's a good linebacking group, but the speed there, I think leaves them susceptible 
against teams that want to spread you out and utilize their speed at wide receiver against Iowa State's, you know, lack thereof at linebacker. I think that's been the biggest issue. But again, when you've been as successful as them as they have been this year, you know, there's not a lot to to pick from in terms of of weaknesses. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the offense. What why is the running game struggling as much as it's struggled for the Cyclones? I think certainly the injury to Jirel Brock looms large, but I don't think that's the end of the story there because Jirel Brock is good. I don't think he's Brees Hall though. It's not where you're taking away an all American running back off there. I think Cartavius Norton, the true freshman is the guy that maybe they were looking at behind the scenes is, is he going to emerge as, that next Brees Hall, that next David Montgomery, because if you remember both Montgomery and Brees Hall as true freshmen overtook guys that we thought were going to be the starters. And it looked like Cartavius Norton in that first game might have that kind of burst, that dynamic running style where it's like, okay, this is the dude that's going to emerge here. And he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, I think again, though, when you look at you zoom out, that offensive line has been a issue for Iowa state for years and while I think this group has been pretty solid, it's still not an elite group. So when you have, you know, maybe an average or slightly above average offensive line, inexperience at running back, inconsistency at running back with just who's back there because of injuries, you know, it's a confluence of things where that that game has just not been able to emerge as a strength. And, you know, if you ask Campbell, he blames a lot of it on falling behind early in games which is maybe true, but if you look, they've never been down huge in games. They, they could run the football down two touchdowns in the first half, and that's not an insurmountable lead. Uh, so I don't know that I fully buy that, but certainly when they fall behind, they're not able to play the style that they want, or they feel like they can't play the style that they want to play, and I think that's hurting them as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think a lot of coaches and a lot of coordinators – change their game plan way too early. I don't I don't think I think you should play a drive to score a touchdown in the best way possible until time becomes a factor, but I don't know. Um I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question. You know, so I've watched Iowa State's offense and I I think it's really vanilla. And I'm trying to figure out if I think Decker's struggles because of how vanilla it is. Or if it's vanilla, because Deckers has struggled. You, does that make sense? I'm trying to figure out like where that balance is. Like if there's if they would like to open it up and be more creative, but maybe he limits them a little bit, or if that's just kind of built into what they do. I would say, I mean, when this offense has been at its best, it's been playing three tight ends. So I don't know that they really want to open it up and be super creative. I mean, that hasn't been the track record. When your your calling card has been three tight ends, I don't think that's yeah. suggests that you want to you really open up the playbook. And I think that's hurt them this year. They still play a lot of two tight ends, even though their tight ends really are not offensive weapons. Like this is not Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen out there. You know, it's it's guys that don't have a huge track record, have not been really super involved in the passing game, certainly not in a way that Charlie Kohler was, where that is a true weapon at that position. These guys are blockers and and safety valves. And they've still been, I don't want to say stubborn, but they've been consistent in keeping two of them on the field a lot this year. And I think to your point that that does make for a vanilla bland offense, but I do think also that Deckers 
at times when he's really struggled, it's because he's not seeing the field very well. And he's, he's zoning in on Xavier Hutchinson, who's a great wide receiver. But I think at one point he had, you know, in the second half of the Baylor game, I think like 80% of the targets in the second half, like that, that's not a winning formula, even with how good he is. They, they got to be able to spread the ball. And I think they did do that against Texas and they've got good wide receivers beyond Hutchinson. You know, Jalen Knoll is really, really good. Dimitri Stanley is really, really good. So they they need to get all these guys involved. And I do think that creativity has certainly been lacking, especially when you look at the running game. If you can't run the ball, you've got to find creative ways to get your playmakers the ball to at least substitute a running game. And I don't think we've seen that. And it'll be interesting to see, does that change coming out of a bye week when you've had now two weeks to – analyze and dissect what you're doing and come up with a game plan to to overcome your shortcomings if they're going to do that i would imagine this is the week we see it and if not then you're probably looking at more of the same well it'll be strength on strength and weakness on weakness in in this football game last one travis we'll let you get out of here man what how do you see this going on saturday you know, I think the the one wild card for me is that Iowa State is coming off a bye. If they, if this was game was played last weekend, I think you're looking at a really difficult game for Iowa State just because of all their struggles. And I know it hasn't been perfect for Oklahoma either, but when you see what Iowa State's been doing offensively, it's just really hard to see, you know, how they can score enough in this game, even with how good their defense has been. I mean, you look, you're talking about an Iowa State offense, you know, that – could not score against what is not a very good defense at Kansas, you know, Kansas defense that just gave up what 52 the other weekend to Oklahoma. It's just to me, unless they come out with a new game plan or some way to put more points on the board, I think this is going to be a very difficult game for Iowa state. And I think Oklahoma is favored for a reason. What about Uh atmosphere? You you expect it to be big time with the the fan base? They're gonna, have they still been showing up in full support? Yeah, I mean the my rule of thumb now in ten years of covering Iowa State is you never doubt Iowa State fans' ability just to show up to stuff. So I think it'll be you know it might not be a sellout on Saturday, but it'll be a full house. It'll be it'll be loud. Um, I think again there is some frustration boiling to the surface, but. I don't think that's going to translate to uh, Oklahoma having anything other than a hostile environment on Saturday. That DJ is going to be cranking that music, man. <laughs> that's a great job. Travis, we'll see you names, man. Thank you. Yep. Take care guys. Yeah. It seems like, seems like there's some frustration there names. Expectations yeah. have changed, right? That's a good they thing. Do. That's, that's how it works. Um, you know, people are, I think people understand, like whenever you graduate a bunch of guys, there's going to be a bit of a rebuild, but you know, the stat that stuck out to me, one in nine in one possession games or um, yeah, one, one possession games like that's, it's hard to play your formula that they have and, and lose in those one possession games. That's supposed to be your specialty. It's very, uh, very Nebraska like. <laughs> it is it, right it is. Yep. yep all right let's preview the best games of week nine in college football but first 
It's football time in Oklahoma, people, and there's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. And they're not just for tailgating either. They're perfect to drink on the golf course, by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. The first variety pack is out. They got some new flavors. They've also got a new can out, which is really cool. Find a place near you that has clubbies. Visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. Week 9, college football. Let's start with this one, Ted. Number two, Ohio State travels to Happy Valley to take on number 13, Penn State. That'll be Fox, big new kickoff, 11 a.m. Central. Ohio State is a 15 and a half point favorite currently. That's a big line. I, I know I, I know that Penn State got smacked by Michigan. I understand, Ted, but that number, I was like, dang, that is it's a little disrespectful to the old Nittany Lions. It is. It is. Ohio State's just kind of been that good. Now, they haven't really been tested all that much, so I think we will learn quite a bit about Ohio State here, but I don't know. I think it benefits Ohio State that it's an early kick. Uh, you know, that place gets wild there uh, at night. I mean, I'm sure with 100-plus thousand people, it's always going to be loud, but I um, think that is a little bit of a benefit for the road team. I just – I have a – maybe I've been influenced too much just by watching the highlights of Ohio State run through a bunch of teams that aren't that good, but I just feel like they're the amount of points that they're going to be able to put up against Penn State, just they're not going to be able to answer that. Yeah, I when you when you look at the stats especially on paper, you're like, well, Ohio State's going to smack them, right? And when you line line these teams up position by position, I mean, you're taking Ohio State's guys, right? But for whatever reason, Penn State plays Ohio State tough. Now they haven't beat them a lot here recently, but they've played them pretty close. And I, I still believe home field advantage makes a big difference in college football. I'm I'm not saying Penn State's about to go out and win this game. I don't think that's going to happen. But I, I I certainly don't trust Sean Clifford enough for that to happen. But I, I do think it could be a game that you know we're looking at. It it's at halftime. We're like, really? Penn State's down three. That's it. And Maybe it's even close-ish. 
going into the fourth quarter, but I, I expect CJ Stroud, uh, those wide receivers to make plays. I, I do think that Penn State's defense has struggled to stop the run. I think Ohio State's going to attack that offensively with Williams and Henderson. That is a that's quite the duo they got there at running back. It's Ohio State's biggest test of the season. I think they're going to win the game, but if I had to bet on it, I'd I'd, I'd probably take Penn State and, and the points because they've just played them close for whatever reason. I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I don't know. I have, I think I have a bias against Penn State only because of their head coach. Um, not a big James Franklin guy. Not a big James Franklin guy. Um, I love the uniforms. I love the stadium. I love a lot about Penn State, but I do not like their current head coach. And I, I don't know. I, I do agree that we may look up at halftime and be like, hey, it's uh it's 2017 Penn State's hanging tight in this thing and then you find out the game ended up you know 49-17 with Ohio State the way that they can just pile it on you so quickly I think I would differ I think if I had to if I had to go one side or the other I think I'd go with the more consistent team and that's been Ohio State but don't have much of a strong feel other than I feel like Ohio State's going to win the game. The cover part, I don't feel as strong about. Yeah, no, I'm with you. All right, let's look at this next game. Number nine, Oklahoma State. Traveling to number 22, Kansas State. This game will be 230 on Big Fox. And Kansas State is a one-and-a-half-point favorite there at home. Maybe the most important question is, who the hell is going to play in this football game? I know. I mean, both teams, they got a bunch of banged up guys and it's not just, it's both sides of the ball for both teams, especially you look at Kansas state situation. It, I don't know if Adrian Martinez is going to play or not, right? It doesn't sound like Chris Kleiman knows either. They they're resting him early in the week and they're just going to see how he responds. Deuce Vaughn's banged up. Daniel green, their best linebackers banged up. Their two best defensive backs, Josh Hayes. And Julius Brintz banged up. Felix and Udike Uzama has been banged up pretty much the entire season. It's one thing when you got, you know, starters banged up and you're having to play a couple of backups. K-State's best players are all hurt, which yeah. is is not a good recipe when you got a really good football team, which that's what Oklahoma State is coming to town, Ted. Yeah. It's so it's really hard to make any type of prediction in this game when you don't know exactly who's going to play and if they do play, like what level of play are you getting out of those guys? Right, that's difficult. But here's the thing, man. I I think what Oklahoma State has done has been impressive, but if you just take the Texas game for instance. If they play the way they did at home against Texas, they do not beat Kansas State, especially in Manhattan. To get a punt blocked and to – I know it didn't hit him. I I believe it didn't hit him. But to have a muffed punt where possession is turned over and to throw an interception in the end zone going in, you don't 
beat Kansas State if that happens. If the game is over, you might right. when they block the punt in the first half, you might as well just say, "Hey, we're jumping on the buses, guys. We're heading out of town." So that's the thing that worries me is like for Oklahoma State, you, they have to play mistake-free football, or Kansas State will not let them off the hook. It just won't happen. I I agree, and let's not forget they also gave up two big time punt returns to Xavier Worthy in that game. Yeah. They gave Texas great field position. Like special teams were a bit of a disaster for Oklahoma State in that game. And somehow they, they found a way to get it done. They do that. They make those special teams mistakes against Kansas State. They're going to lose by two scores. Yep. But I I do think you look at Kansas State defensively, a lot of banged up guys, right? And um Duke, that that guy that's playing their nickel spot, I, I think he's out for the first half because he got ejected for targeting. So I I do think Oklahoma State's offense could be the difference in this game. I'm not I'm not issuing my apology to Will Howard quite yet. Right? <laughs> I know he looked great coming in in the TCU game, but Will Howard could come back down to earth in this game if he has to go for them at quarterback, but I, I just can't believe I'm going to say this. I trust Spencer Sanders to go get it done, man. I do. I, I like the way that they're playing offensively. If Kansas State's defense is that banged up, I know that Kansas State's going to try to shorten the game, right? Whether it's either guy at quarterback. I just think Oklahoma State's offense is a little more reliable. I think they're capable of producing some more explosive plays in the passing game. I trust Spencer Sanders. And clip. I've got that uh, recorded and clipped. <laughs> My name is Gabe, and I trust Spencer Sanders. I And I, I really do, but you, you mentioned it. They cannot make as many mistakes as they did against Texas. That That's just that's a great, great way to get smacked in Manhattan by the Wildcats, but yeah, I think when I look at this team, both of these teams, I go, okay, who do I trust? Well, if Adrian Martinez is significantly hobbled, which it sounds like he's going to be, then I just I trust Sanders more than anyone else. Here's the other crazy thing. to say. I know. Here's the other thing. Oklahoma State was not good against the run against Texas. Texas lost the game because they stopped running the football against Oklahoma State. I will assure you, Kansas State will not stop running the football. It really doesn't even matter what the score is. That's what they're going to do. They're going to run the football. So if Oklahoma State doesn't get some things figured out there uh, against the run, and you know it's a it's a different style. It's it's going to be a little bit different. And you know there's a reason why you know Texas the way they can spread the field on you vertically and everything. Uh, that makes it difficult, but Kansas State runs the ball as good as anyone in the conference. Um, so I, if if you are having a really tough day stopping the run, it's going to be a long afternoon in Manhattan. Yeah, could be a fun game, though. Huge implications when it comes to who is going to be in the Big Twelve title game. Which nice. are, I guess, technically Oklahoma. Mathematically, are they still alive? They just need Kansas State to continue to lose, right? Or is it still dead? alive? No yeah. one has been eliminated from what I from what I can tell just quite yet. But so yeah, you're I, still still rooting for Oklahoma State though to win. Yeah. I I I guess Kansas State's schedule right now. 
tough stretch yeah. for the Wildcats. All right, last game. Number 19, Kentucky travels to Knoxville to take on number three, Tennessee. This game will be 6 p.m. on ESPN. Tennessee currently a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. I I feel like I know Josh Heupel well enough to where he has been – I'll just I'll just say it. He has been a complete asshole about his team not looking ahead to Georgia. Yeah. I I feel confident in saying that. They're not going to be looking ahead to that showdown next week. They're going to be focused on Mark Stoops' team. And I, I think that makes this matchup really, really fun because Kentucky, if you are not focused, that is the type of team that will punish you. So I I am – I'm really interested to see what Kentucky's approach is offensively, right? Because Will Levis, he's supposed to be, you know, he's supposed to be first round NFL draft pick type of guy. Well, Kentucky's or uh, Tennessee's secondary has not been great, right? They've been susceptible to the big play. So does Levis throw it around or do they maybe take more of a run heavy approach, right? With Chris Rodriguez and let Levis use his athleticism a little bit, or maybe it's a combination of all of that, right? That's probably what it'll end up being. But the fun matchups on the other side, right? It's going to be fun watching that Kentucky defense against that Tennessee offense. No doubt. No doubt about it. Here's the interesting thing. Like, to me, I think that betting line is absurd. Uh, Tennessee minus 12 and a half. I know they're at home, but here's the thing. And it's hard to um, it's 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 hard to like really feel whenever this changeover occurs. But Tennessee is no longer the hunter; they're the hunted, right? They're they're the team that everyone is is now gunning for. They were the the long shot. They were the the boy. If everything comes together, this team could be pretty good. But here they are number three in the country, undefeated. And Kentucky's coming to town. So Kentucky is like everything has flipped. Now Kentucky's going to be the team that is just amped out of their mind to go on the road and knock off the undefeated Tennessee. And because of that, I think it's going to be an incredibly tough game, close game. I think Tennessee wins it. But whenever you put special seasons together, there's games that, you're the better team, but you get absolutely the best shot from from someone else, and you just have to find a way to get it done. And I think this is going to be one of those games for Tennessee. I think it's going to be low scoring, and I think it's going to be incredibly, incredibly tight. Things just aren't going to click the way they have all year, and you're going to have to find a way to come up with a win. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You mentioned the low scoring aspect of things because I'm not sure people realize how good Kentucky's defense is. I mean, the argument could be made that this will be the best defense Tennessee's seen up to this point. Yeah. And I know they just played Bama, but uh, that, that Kentucky defense, a lot of people think it's the second best defense in the SEC behind Georgia. So we'll see one thing Kentucky has to do they have to make Hendon Hooker uncomfortable. That is something that that defense has really struggled with this year. They have not been good 
at getting after opposing quarterbacks. That has to change in this game because if Hendon Hooker can stand back there and be comfortable and go through his progressions, it's going to be bombs away on that Kentucky secondary. So uh, that's that's going to be one of the keys for me. It's like they they got to make Hendon Hooker very, very uncomfortable if they want to slow down that passing attack from the balls because that thing has been humming. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And and that's what that's what makes them so uh, so dangerous. I mean, we all we all know that we've we've talked about it for years. That that's that's kind of the critical part of this offense, and we've seen that with with Levy, right? If when the run game starts uh, clicking, everything else works really really good. I I think Tennessee wins it, but they may have to come from behind late. They may have to manufacture some points or like some crazy big play. But I think the home crowd is going to will them to victory. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere again at Tennessee. That place is insane right now. Yeah. And I, I think that's going to – hope that may give that Tennessee defense a little bit of the lift mm-hmm. it needs right now. they got to start playing some better football if they want to be a true, true contender at the end of the year. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first – First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate. And you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcony's baby blue corn whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcony's pot still bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year round. Remember in 2012, Balcony's single malt won the best in glass competition beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, the Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I had to go break your mark. I love these comments. Uh, you know, he said, you know, you, you, you've kind of been walking around on eggshells about what exactly is happening out there as far as the conference realignment stuff. But he says, I've telegraphed my intentions. I've decided I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to telegraph it. I'm going to be very transparent and honest about my desires to go national, to expand. And I've done that. I aspire for this conference to be truly national. 
about that. He's saying it right now. We're in the uh, we're negotiating. We're in the midst of negotiating a new media rights deal, and I'm being I'm being transparent. I'm wanting to add teams. We're going national, which means he's going west, right? That's what he means when he says he's going national. They're going west, and I. The comments coming from the Pac-12 commissioner about how committed and strong everyone is, is like, whenever he's saying it, you know that they're not, right? You know that <laughs> that is not what is happening. And uh, I, I think he's, your Mark's probably got his eye on, I think it would be awesome. Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado to the Big 12. I think that would yeah. be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and... The, these comments are on the heels of what I thought was some really encouraging news uh, for the future of the Big 12, right? That $400 million a year figure was kind of floated out there. And, and remember, that would be, you know, when you think about it, what's that? That would have bring the 12 teams in uh, around $33 million or so per school with the TV rights deal. But then you you also have, you know, it, it that encourages, when, when you talk about the payout that goes to each team or each school in the conference every year, it's the TV deal that also um, it, it, that you also get the money from the NCAA tournament and that you get corporate sponsorship money in that distribution as well. And your Mark's been very open, like, Hey, I'm going after more corporate sponsors. So I, I, I really liked the hire when they hired him. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like he is a cutthroat business guy. And I've been really impressed with him so far. I know OU fans may not care that much because we're going to the SEC here in a few years, but I do want to watch the Big 12 kind of flourish after we leave. I'm a Big 12 guy, right? The championship rings say Big 12 champ on him. So yeah. I'm always going to be rooting for the conference. So I, I've been kind of fired up seeing all this positive Big Twelve news, man. I know, I love it, and I think, I think the conference is going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think right now, it's, it, we don't have the teams at the top. Obviously, we're not we're not top heavy, but we're about to play an zero and four conference team, and they have one of the best defenses in the country statistically so that's kind of where you look at the big 12 right now the team at dead last in the standings 0-4 hasn't won a conference game is the number one defense in the conference and one of the top defenses in the country it's inc incredibly competitive and I think the teams that we're adding are I think everyone brings something to the table I think it's going to be really good moving forward yeah one other thing about what your mark is doing he's he's hired a bunch of people and also like some of these marketing and branding companies, uh, these event companies he's brought on board for the conference. These people put on some of the most popular events and well-branded things like in the world. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what the big 12 cooks up here moving forward. Uh, now, Oh, you won't be a part of most of it, which Hey, is what it is, but just a lot happening for the yeah. Big 12 conference right now. It's good. It's good. It's a good time. Like if you if you can 
like a lot of times change is is difficult and some people miss out on some of the things that happen but if you can position yourself properly when there is a lot of change coming you can uh you can be one of the bag holders at the end of it so. yeah all right who do you have as your loser of the week jimbo fisher Oof. i had to go jimbo fisher um the first part of it is the the spin that he's trying to create with what's gone on so far this season. Yeah, he was asked about how this is going to affect recruiting, and he basically said, well, who wants to go somewhere where all they do is win all the time? And my answer to that is everyone. That's where everyone wants to go. The only time someone doesn't want to go where they win all the time is when they're getting paid to go elsewhere, right? Which is what's happened to Texas A&M. So I thought that was a uh, a funny funny little quote from him trying to spin that it's good that they're Pro- losing right now for recruiting. Probably trying to be a little sarcastic, but it's one of those. It's like, hey, Jimbo, by the way, you're you're not very funny. Let's have <laughs> let's have a little awareness of our strengths and weaknesses here. The other part is, you know, that they're having to, you know, when it goes, when it rains, it pours, I guess, whenever you've got the, obviously your record now dropping football games, lose to South Carolina, who's now five and two, but you got a couple of players smoking weed before the football game, apparently in the, uh, in the locker room or in the bathroom stall, which I don't understand how that happens on the road. You're talking about a tiny locker room. Uh, I I don't know. I thought that that was strange, but uh, you've got all these things. The storm is brewing right now. Everyone's talking about a way to get him out of his contract, which isn't going to happen unless they, unless they've got dirt on him, which they may have. If he's clean, he'll be there for a while, or they're going to write him a big check. As as far as the smoking weed thing, like you and I played been on the practice field even the game field with plenty of guys that were high it happens right some guys do it to unwind some guys it gets them in a zone every guy i know that practiced or played high at least had the courtesy to smoke in the car before they came into the facility (laughs) i mean come on boys what are we doing yeah and and, you know the first thing i thought of is Like who reported this? Right? It's a good point. It's, it's like okay. Has so this guy, been confirmed to be true? I'm skeptical. I'm kind of skeptical too of the way that it all went down, but but I suspended know, indefinitely. Like that's guys did something. They did know? something. I don't know. I don't know if that's exactly what it was. Um, but the first thing I thought was like, you know. You're coming from Texas. You're flying to South Carolina, and I I don't know. I guess I, I'm like I can't believe those guys are flying a bunch of weed across the country. You know, that's that's like a, that's a federal offense right there. Um, but I don't know it. I don't necessarily think it's all that big of a deal. But I, whenever it makes it out into the media into the public sphere, that's whenever it becomes a big deal because like if you were a recruit that was kind of on the fence um, 
or maybe a recruit's parent that was kind of on the fence about what's going on. Like, this is just another reason for someone to say, ah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to decommit. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's not good right now. Uh, it's not good for Fisher and it's not good for the fans. Whenever you've got a coach that's owed $90 million, he ain't going nowhere. I, have you seen their injury report also? What they lost three offensive linemen for the season. That's a banged up football team. I, I'm going to be, I'll be surprised if Ole Miss doesn't come to Kyle Field and roll their ass this weekend. I'm sure they will. And, and you know how it goes. Like if, if it starts ugly, and the fans turn on you, that's oh. that's whenever it gets real bad. They could be three and five. I I think they'll be three and five. After yeah, I don't. This I don't think they'll beat Ole Miss. Yeah, we'll we'll see. But yeah, just breaks our heart to see it. Things playing out the way they're playing out there in College Station. It's a real shame. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I for Oklahoma fans or for people that like are pulling against Texas A&M. Let me say that. I you want it to be bad, but you don't want it to be horrible, right? You want it to be bad, but to where they're like, okay, next year is our year. That's what you want. Because when it gets really bad is whenever they actually do come up with $90 million to get rid of Jimbo Fisher, and who knows who they hire. Like The next hire could be the one, right? Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. Like, like you, don't, you want Jimbo Fisher there. As fun as it is to, like, like root against that, that's who you want to be the coach there. I tweeted out that it was time for Jimbo to assume, like, a CEO role and to hire Garrett Riley or Zach Kitley, like, to have them come run the offense. So many people got so mad at me. They were like, what are you doing? No. No, we want it to stay exactly how it is. I was like, hey, I'm just just putting some thoughts out there, putting some opinions out there. We Jeez. need to start, like, writing articles about Texas A&M offense, not as bad as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For my winner of the week, thought about going with Sam Ellinger. Colts offense has been, been lighting it up with Matt Ryan. Uh, he's thrown the most inter interceptions in the league, fumbled the most in the league. He's been sacked the most in the league. Uh, got banged up against the Titans, and I think there's some there's some injury clauses in the future of his contract that factor into this decision. But Frank Reich announced that the Colts be, will, will be rolling with Ellinger moving forward. He's going to get the chance to start the rest of the season, show what he can do, man. And I know how a lot of OU fans feel about Sam Ellinger. I get it. The guy's been through a lot. He's handled it really well. I've got no problems. I am rooting for that man. I, yeah. I hope he, because he's got a career altering opportunity to go out and play well and to prove, to prove he's more than just a career backup in that league. And I, I hope he plays well, man. Guy has been, he'd been through enough. I hope he gets out there and plays at a high level. Yep. Which number one, being a career backup in the NFL ain't a bad thing. I hear but, you. But you're exactly right. He's one of the guys that are, um, even though he's from Texas, he's a guy that's easy to root for. Like, even whenever he was at Texas, like currently playing against Oklahoma, 
Uh, he's the one guy you walked off the field every time was like, I got a lot of respect for the way that dude plays football. So yeah. no, I'm I'm totally with you. I I also thought about going with Bailey Zappi. I think. Hmm. Yeah. I, what the hell was that on Monday Night Football? I mean, what what did Bill Bill Belichick do? I mean, I, I guess if he's trying to make us believe that that was the plan, like, hey, we were going to pull Mac Jones all along. We were going to give Zappy some snaps. I, it was really confusing. I will say Zappy was absolutely electric on those first couple of drives he got, though. And all of a sudden now, you get the fans booing Mac Jones, chanting for Zappy. Then they kind of flip like New England Patriots fans. Ted, are, how are your people doing? Y'all all right? Um, You can well, say no. It's okay. Well, no, not all right. But this is what happens in the NFL whenever you don't have an elite quarterback. You know, there's a lot of good quarterbacks out there. You know, there's a lot of young guys that will, are going to turn into good quarterbacks. But if you just have a good quarterback – it's it's like win one, lose one at best, right? You have to have an elite quarterback in the NFL to go out and win week after week on the road, at home, doesn't matter. Like You've got to have elite quarterback play. And even if you've got one of the all-time greats as a head coach like Belichick and a defense that plays really, really well, it's still, it only gets you so far. You've got to have really, really good quarterback play. and. That's what New England's going through right now. Until they until they find the next elite guy, they're they're going to be just another football team, mediocre. I I just thought it was a really weird approach. Like if Mac Jones isn't healthy enough, then don't play him. Right. But they they've kind of created a mess of a situation themselves. Like if hey, if you want to see what Zappy's got, give him the whole damn game. I can guarantee you. I mean, with as many locker rooms as we were in. Those players don't like it. No. Like, hey, pick a guy. Like, pick a damn guy and let's roll. Right. Hey. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird, especially whenever you don't know kind of what the what the situation is going into it. But what happens is you end up kind of dividing the the team, right? Yeah. You know, and the one thing it, it does look like whenever Zappy goes in there, they get a little bit of energy to him, which that kind of tells you what the team thinks, right? Did you see the like super zoomed in slow mo hitting uh, the Matt Jones' the... interception? Yeah. Did it it look it looks like it hit the sky cam? Yeah. That's it's crazy. The, That's the insane. wire. Just a little bit, just nix it. And the fact that someone saw that. It has like the zoomed in version of it, man. The internet is is undefeated. Pretty wild. Yeah. If I was Mac Jones, I'd be so pissed. If oh, he was trying to throw it away and it hit yeah. the sky cam and got interception. Because remember, that was the throw that got a benched, right? Yeah. Ooh, I'd be hot. But my winner of the week, the good guys got it done for the first time this season. There the we Oklahoma go. City Thunder got a win. I was there on Tuesday night against the Clippers. And yeah, I get it. No Paul George, no Kawhi Leonard, but who cares, baby? If you're going to win games, win them at the Paycom Center, and win it was a win, and 
Shea Gilgis Alexander looked awesome. I mean, his ability to get to his spots in the lane and kind of in that mid-range area and now the variety of ways that he can finish. I mean, it's just, it's fun to watch. It's different. I, I think it's way more fun to watch than guys just jack threes all game long. Uh, I know maybe the analytics people don't like it. I don't care, but he was great. He only shot two threes, made both of them, uh, did his damage around the basket and, and got to the free throw line. The mid-range game is not dead. Said mm. it is very much alive with our man SGA. And I, I really think, and this is a very lofty early thought to have during the season, but with with the way that the roster looks like Shea Gilgis Alexander may win the scoring title this year. He can do it. I think he can do it. I think he can average 30 a game. And if you average 30 a game, you got a really good shot. That's impressive. If he can if he put up 30 a game, wow. Yeah, I love the mid-range stuff, man. I I think that's awesome. I, I like it's it's a it's it's a better game to watch when you got some mid-range stuff happening other than just watch guys dribble down, pass it around, settle for a uh, 30-foot contested three over and over. The Lou Dort is what we're calling that. Man, he is he's struggling shooting the ball and uh, Mark Dagnall, he said that he's asking Lou to do some different things offensively. He took a lot of the blame, but that man was one of 11 shooting the ball against the Clippers. And oh. he has shot it terribly from three so far this season. He got paid, man. And I'm hoping it's not, it hasn't changed who he is, but not defending at a, as high of a level, in my opinion. And the shot is, it's not clicking right now, man. I, but on the other hand, Trey, man, you're starting to see some signs of him being a really good piece for this team in the future. Now he took a ton of shots in the game I was at, but did have 25 points. I think he's defending at a better level. And that's because he's added some weight, some strength also added, a full left arm sleeve of tattoos Ooh. just over the off season. Okay. Inked up, Ted. Inked nice. up. My man, my man said, I'm getting some ink in the off season. But yeah, I liked what I saw from Trey Mann. The Thunder. <laughs> Speaking of threes, four of 30 Oof. on Tuesday night. They won shooting four of 30 from three. Pretty impressive. That's percentage-wise, that's a hard one to bounce back from. Like, that's going to affect you for months. <laughs> An outlier statistically. <laughs> right. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully Josh Giddy can get back from that ankle quickly. And I I hate to say it. I know he's – I don't know if fan favorites the term, but I've seen enough of Poku. I'm out. I don't need to see any more. Give me, give me Aaron Wiggins minutes. Give me Usman Jang minutes. Poku's not an NBA player. I'm out. out. I'm done. It's the, the experiment has failed. We just need to move on. That's where I'm at. That's right. The best thing, like you're not gonna you're not gonna hit on every pick, right? But you have to know when to cut bait. Correct. Right? You have to know when the uh the project is over. Do not stunt other guys' development trying to make Poku a thing. It's not happening. The guy, it, I, the, he has zero confidence shooting the basketball right now. 
it's it's hard to watch. Also, whoever cut his hair, whoever tried to give him that fade, my God, what did you? What were you thinking? Maybe he did it himself. I don't know, but I'm just. I hate to say it. I was hoping it would come together for him, but he he's not an NBA player. Yeah, he's not. It's okay to fold a bad hand. It's just it's how it is. Yeah. All right. For my loser of the week, thought about going with Brittany Griner. Oh man. Uh, I mean, not surprising, but yikes. Appeal. So the appeal was rejected, but is like, is that it? Like, I don't know the Russian court system. Are you done? I, Have you exhausted your appeals or what? All I know is the next step from all the stuff I read is like she goes to what they call a penal colony. Sounds like Siberia. It that have you have you watched Stranger Things? No, no. The last, I've, the last season was like it season four, episode. where Hopper ends up. So a lot of people know what I'm talking about. That's how it sounds, and I'm terrified for her. And I, well, she's been over there for like eight months now, which means she's looking at a little over eight more years in Russian prison, uh, unless they can get a prisoner swap done. I mean, it's a nightmare. Dude, like it's like I, I feel for her and her family. Like, I, I can say this with one hundred percent confidence: your boy's never going to Russia. Never. I'm good. I'm out. Don't need to see it. I'll look at pictures. I'll look at it on YouTube. I'm out. I'm done. No thanks. Same. Yeah, I'm out. Not happening for me either. Yeah, that's that's brutal. It's tough. I, you know, I hate that. It's um, the timing. Could not have been worse. Oh my gosh. Timing could not have been worse. And, uh, you know, I don't, it sounds like this is not a consistent um, sentence for, for the offense. I, yeah. It, there's political pressure there, obviously, to, to keep her there for longer. And uh, obviously, the appeals probably not going to work, but you're right. The, Here's the thing, though, the prisoner swap situation. Unfortunately, because she's a high-profile person, like they originally were going to do a prisoner swap with her and an illegal arms dealer. Like the guy that was literally the movie Lord of War was made after was who the prisoner swap was going to be. And it's like you just can't do that, you know? I mean, I understand. I, I hate the situation, but you just can't do that. They've, from what I've read, like the United States has made some other prisoner swap offer. I couldn't find like the de- no one knows the details, but allegedly it's a really good offer, and they haven't heard back yet. A lot of people think it'll be after the election, uh, after the midterms. So I, I don't know, man, but just in. Awful, awful situation for Brittany Griner there. Oof. Also, easy transition. I also thought about going with the Dallas Mavericks as my loser of the week. Uh, they lost to the Pelicans without Zion, Brandon Ingram, and Herb Jones. All those guys didn't play. And I'll tell you right now, Ted, Luka Doncic, incredibly talented, fantastic basketball player. The Mavericks are my least favorite team to watch in the league. It's it's almost worse than the Harden Rockets. 
<laughs> it's it's right there now. Like he just just dribbles. It, it's it's ISO ball all game long. It's my least favorite form of basketball to watch. He's an incredible player and an incredible talent. I just I'm so out. Can't it's yeah. I'm so out. I'm the same way. I I not a fan of that style at all. That's why you know. That's why I like whenever you're you were talking about some mid range game and stuff like that. That's that's why I like it because it's just more pleasing to watch. Other than the stand there till the end of the shot clock and then hoist a bad shot and. You know, there's good players that can make those over and over, but it's just it's not fun to watch. Yeah, but my loser of the week, American Society. Ooh, this this stat about fall weddings absolutely blew my mind when I saw it from the Knot, which is wedding website a lot of people use. So, according to the Knot, October twenty second, so last Saturday was the most popular wedding date of the entire year. Hmm. And in fact, October is home to three of the five most popular wedding dates in the year 2022. And 17% of all engaged couples plan to get married in October. Do these heathens not know it's football season? What the hell is happening here, Ted? Well, here's what's happening. Your wedding pictures and the fall foliage uh, and the, you know, the, the temperature's better. Everyone's, um, if you want to have any type of outdoor wedding or whatever, this is the time of the year to have it. But you've been, you've been talked into a fall wedding because of your wedding pictures, not realizing that no one cares and you won't even care after two weeks about what your wedding pictures look like. That's the scam here. Everyone thinks that they've got to have the perfect wedding and it's got to be pictured perfectly. But the, the fact of the matter is nobody cares. Even you will not care about your wedding pictures after they're done. And actually during the wedding pictures, you're going to say, this is bullshit. I hate this. I don't even know why we're doing it. <laughs> we're still taking pictures. How are we still taking pictures? That's right. Where's the alcohol? Someone get me a drink, please. Um, That's right. I just, it, and I think a lot of people's excuse, oh, it's a bye week. We, we, we set it on a bye week. It's not always going to be a bye week, man. Mm -hmm. Your wife is, is not going to be happy celebrating her anniversary at the stadium for the rest of her life. And guarantee you that you're gonna have to go on trips. You're gonna miss Great games. Point. Great point. It's right. just I don't understand it. And maybe I know there's regions of this country that don't care about football like the the same way that we care about football here in Oklahoma. But this is a this is an epidemic that needs to stop. Do you think it's is it okay? Let's say, um. A couple for some unknown reason had a a wedding in the fall, and they they scheduled it during the team's bye week. Is it acceptable now that your anniversary is? It's just there's not a set date. It's the bye week every season is your anniversary. Well, if you're 
in the profession that you and I are in, yeah, that's how it's going to be. Uh, and I know I went to a fall wedding in September, but OU was playing Kent State, so I felt pretty good about it. And my wife was like, you're going to this wedding. And I love my wife. My wife is more important than OU football. That's just where it is. But you, every single year, you're going to miss a game every single year because it's your wedding anniversary? Mm-hmm. People are putting themselves, and I don't think they're realizing it, they want, they want to put cool pictures on Instagram, and I get it, right? We want the foliage. We don't want to be sweaty. I get it. But they're setting themselves up for bad situations the rest of their life if they're football fans. Now, if they're not, then okay, I get it. Green Your friends will it. just hate you for making you green screen it. You want pictures in front of fall foliage? <laughs> Hell, I, that's easy. You could do that on your cell phone in uh, in about thirty seconds. All right. You want them in front of the Louvre? Uh, you want them what? Uh, seaside, Fiji, in the mountains? That can all be done easily. Just take the pictures in front of a green screen. And do you go on your honeymoon right away? Are you missing two games? Oh, yeah. Dude, you, because these are the things people don't think about. You're setting yourself up for a lifetime of just bad situations. I think a lot of it, too, is like, I, I think some people are like dead set on a certain venue. Yeah. And it's like, you got to take what you can get. That's true. The venue. I get that. That's what backyards for- are for. Yeah, for more uh, fall wedding complaints, uh, check out our buddy Josh Pate. He he feels as passionately about this as we do. Episode 261 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday. Hopefully, we're recapping a Sooners win. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. If you're going up to Ames, travel safely. And until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.